Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. Today, I'm doing a show on charitable giving. So it is the kickoff to my next three episodes that really talk about end of year, beginning of year planning and setting goals. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, it's been over three years now, then you know that this is the time of year when I get jazzed. So the planning part and the setting goals part comes from uh, a long history of just feeling out of control. I had a childhood that was a little wonky. Um, I never felt in control of my life. Later to find out when I finally made it to college, by the way, took me seven years to get my bachelor's degree <laughs> off and on. Uh, so not a perfect start and finish for sure. Not the perfect grades either. But during college, I had a couple of professors, one particularly who took an interest in helping me get through school and get on a good path for life, a good career path, you know, explore, not just what was I good at, but what did I love doing? What was something that really meshed with me? And through that exploration process, I guess, I um, discovered that I was dyslexic. I was sent to the learning center at our school back then. And, um, you know, did some testing and figured out that Despite my love of reading, um, it was, you know, challenging to kind of get through the material, absorb, uh, absorb it all, I guess, and be able to, um, you know, spit it back out and make sense out of it. So as a kid, I read lots and lots of books. Books were my friend, but never reading for content. And of course, by the time I got to high school and then college, things were intense. Finding out about the dyslexia didn't open a door for me. I didn't really understand completely what it meant, but I started to gather tools that would help me be more comfortable and really start to, in a tiny way, gather some control over my future and over my life. And Basically, that started out my love of checklists and process. And um, honestly, I am not great at it, but it is like a warm, comforting blanket to wrap myself around in. It helps me feel less out of control. And this continued on because when I went to law school, I basically treated it like a job. I went to school at 8 30, 9 o'clock in the morning. I stayed there till five o'clock in the evening. And in between classes, I studied and I set up a program for myself, basically, especially through the first year, which was brutal, brutal. Oh my God, hundreds and hundreds of pages of reading every day. It was a lot. And again, didn't go to a top tier law school, went to a middle of the road law school, loved it, did not get top grades. I uh, always lingered in the middle. That's me, the middle child. <laughs> um, so didn't stand out, 
uh, didn't get great internships, didn't get a job offer following. Now, in school, I met my husband, my first husband, and we got married shortly after graduation and had Elizabeth like immediately thereafter. And she was a preemie. So once again, my life, my perfect life that I had planned just got turned on its ear. So again, I'm talking about how to get control back, how to feel in control again. And through that process, if any of you have read my book, Butterflies and Second Chances, you know that the process that I went through was to, uh, I don't know, almost hysterically, <laughs> definitely very, um, very inefficiently in the beginning, start to gather information and facts and pull together a plan for dealing with Elizabeth's many, many challenges. Um, and it started to come together for me that this was the way that I was going to live my life. It was the way that I was going to be okay. And if I'm okay, then my family's okay. So the next three episodes, we're going to talk about you know, some, some semblance of that, some pieces of that where you can start to take a look at your year, learn some things from what you did right, what didn't go so well this year, celebrate some wins, and move forward with a plan for 2023. And so today, there's an aspect of planning that comes up in just about every conversation that I have with families, and that is charitable giving. People have charitable intentions on every scale, whether it's small, whether it's great, something in between, whether they want to do something during their lifetime or whether they want to do something once they're gone or once their family's gone. So I was fascinated to have a conversation with my two guests today. My first guest was Jennifer Volpe, and she is from Perkins School for the Blind, a place that you know that I have fond affiliation with. Um, love Perkins, love what they did for my lovely Elizabeth. It was her Disneyland or Disney World. And Jennifer joins us with a wonderful background. She spent over 10 years in sales and business development for a small New England-based company worked in health insurance for a while. And then while she was volunteering at a local hospital, she decided to make the switch to nonprofit fundraising. And we're so glad she did because for the last 17 years, she's been raising much needed funding for programs at Perkins. And she's now focusing on working with donors on plan giving to the school. And I'm so excited that she was able to join us to talk a little bit about what planned giving looks like when you are the organization. Um, she introduced me to Brooke Sukabasi. Oh gosh, I hope I said that right. <laughs> and Brooke is the Senior Assistant Director of Gift Planning at Colby College. She also is the founder of BNP Consulting, LLC. And she has over 20 years of sales and business development event planning, fundraising, and advancement experience. Um, she 
has really focused primarily in gift planning and um, recently established her own consulting business to help other organizations like Perkins, and she's working with Perkins, with their most pressing fundraising needs. She loves to meet new people and help their projects or their philanthropic intent become a reality. Um, she also helped co-found a New Hampshire-based nonprofit called Action for Aiden, and they've raised over $650,000 to date to uh, research and support a cure for Hunter syndrome. So very excited to meet Brooke. She had, um, she had so many wonderful things to add to the conversation. And really, the most important piece of this conversation that we had was that Plan giving is accessible to almost everyone. And it's such a meaningful way to make an impact at your favorite organization or charity. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast episode as much as I did. And next week, we will be talking about how to review your estate plan and your life plan and make some changes and some tweaks. And I'm looking forward to that as well. I hope that you are having a wonderful winter holiday season, and I will be looking forward to all of your comments and your ratings and reviews. So please share the love and spread the joy. Thank you so much. So today we're doing something a little different. It's along the lines of things that I always talk to you about at the end of the year, beginning of the year. It's about setting goals and doing planning. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I am a planner at heart. I like to be prepared for absolutely anything. And I've never met a checklist I haven't fallen in love with. So planning as a topic comes naturally to me. Um, today, I'm introducing Jennifer Volpe and Brooke Sukavasi. Did I get that right? I hope so. Yay. <laughs> um, two fantastic ladies who are going to talk to us about charitable giving and planning with charitable giving in mind. As I mentioned to them when we were doing our little pre-episode get to know you, this comes up so much in all of the planning that I do with families. A lot of times what happens is that people have charitable intentions, but they have no idea how to, how to implement them, how to include them in their plan. So I'm super excited to be talking about something that we have not talked about on the show before. And that is how, how to start thinking about charitable giving and including it in your planning. End of year is a great time to start thinking about this. So um, ladies, I'm going to start with Brooke. I would love for you to just introduce yourself a little bit and tell me how you got involved and interested in charitable giving as a, you know, as part of your practice. Sure. Hi. Um, so this is Brooke Sukabasi, and I have about 20 years of sales and business development experience um, in a variety of shop sizes and organizations. Um, and right now, I'm currently Senior Associate Director at Colby College um, within the gift planning department, as well as just started my own LLC, which is why I'm here today being invited Yay. by Jennifer, um, because I have just started consulting for Perkins School for the Blind, which I'm really, really thrilled about. 
Um, and the other aspect that is near and dear is I have a family nonprofit called Action for Aiden that we started about 12 years ago. And so I just love getting to know people. I love helping them achieve their dream. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, in my mind, as you talked about, it's important to plan and it's important to involve your family and have very open discussions about this so that your family, philanthropic and financial plans all can become a reality. Tell us just uh, about action for Aiden. Sure. Um, so my nephew is Aiden um, and he has a really rare disease called Hunter syndrome. Um, and I could hold hands and cry with my family when he was diagnosed only for so long, but I'm more of an action person. So we stepped up and um, initially just started the nonprofit, well, just started the organization and funded the money through another existing nonprofit. But as of about three years ago, we became a nonprofit ourselves. Um, and we've, in the last 12 years, raised um, around six hundred and twenty-five dollars to $650,000 all to go to research oh. for a cure for Hunter syndrome. Um, so wonderful. Near and dear to that, my heart, for sure. That is amazing. And I'm an action gal myself, as you know. So I, you know, start a million things. Actually, I don't start a million things. I have a million great ideas. Well, not everybody thinks they're great, but I do. <laughs> and I'm always trying to, you know, get things done in the disability community for sure. So, so nice to have you as a fellow disability community member. Thank you. So, Jennifer, why don't you tell us about yourself? And everybody knows how much I love Perkins. So, oh, great. Thank you. Heard one podcast episode, you know, I talk about Perkins in almost every podcast episode I have. So, uh -huh. Well, thank you. We are grateful for that. Um, well, similar to Brooke, I was in sales and business development for a lot of years uh, for a small New England-based company. And uh, I eventually decided that I love that aspect of my job, working with individuals, building relationships, uh, finding the right fit and problem solving for them uh, with products and things like that. And I got to the point where I decided I really wanted to take those skills and work at an organization that I felt really good about. Didn't need to save the world, but I really wanted to feel as though I was having more of an impact with what I was doing with my job. So I was um, volunteering at a local hospital and I was fortunate enough to meet uh, a woman who was consulting for Perkins School for the Blind. She made an introduction for me. And although I had no experience, uh, Perkins took uh, a, a shot with me <laughs> and I've been here for the last 17 years and I, I have a great job. It's a privilege to work here. The staff is phenomenal and I work with our supporters and I try to talk to them and listen and hear what they're saying about what their interests are and mm -hmm. connect that to, to Perkins mission and, and where we need funding. So, um, the last few months, I've been focusing solely on planned giving and hence having Brooke come on board and help us with um, with moving forward. Uh, but it's a great organization. And uh, I, I feel, um, like I said, privileged every day to be here. Yeah, it is a magical place and so many unbelievable things happen there on a daily and weekly basis. Um, and what you all 
were able to do during the pandemic was nothing short of miraculous. Um, really, I, I had uh, Pat on the show to talk about reaching out to families and some of the just surprising things that happened while they were trying to do online learning with students who are blind and right. blind and multiple disabilities. But Perkins is never daunted by any, um, any, you know, task in front of them, any obstacle. And it's all in that Helen Keller legacy of, you know, just not seeing anything as an obstacle, but seeing it all as a possibility. And truly so much was learned through the pandemic. So Right. All right. Well, enough gushing about Perkins. Let's talk about planned giving and, you know, maybe just get us started a little bit. Um, Brooke, if you want to go first with, you know, what's, what does planned giving or charitable intention look like for the average person who just says, oh my gosh, like, like I do, you know, my daughter who's passed now had such an amazing experience at Perkins. I really want to include them somehow in my planning. Maybe I have a lot, maybe I don't have a lot, but how, how do I incorporate that? That's a great question. Um, and there isn't a, a guidebook on exactly how to do it. It's yeah. really about building that relationship and um, having open and honest conversations about what your goals are, whether it's financial, family, or philanthropic support. Um, but I personally, I firmly believe that anybody can do an estate plan gift, no matter how large your estate is. Um, you know, it's about the intent and the thought. So even if you put an organization that's important to you in there for 1% of your estate, yeah. that is a plan gift, regardless how big or small it is when it ultimately comes. Um, that's a plan gift. And so I, I truly believe that everyone can do it. Um, and it's just finding the right way for you and your situation. Um, I hear on numerous occasions and I fully support it. You know, my kids and my family are my priority. Um, and I love to, I kind of geek out on it a little bit and <laughs> I love to find creative ways to, to make their intent and their vision and their dream come true. Um, but you really, it is about having active conversations with the organization that is important to you. Um, you know, having conversations with Jennifer and I, people like us at those organizations that their background is to, to help facilitate the, the best way forward, whether it's through your retirement accounts, naming a beneficiary, just an outright bequest, the residue of your state. There are just so many different ways, um, yeah. a combination of outright in your lifetime and through your state. Um, and then it's really about the impact you want to have. And just having open conversations with the organizations is, is honestly the first step I would recommend. Um, right. Because you all know all of the possibilities and you can really work with somebody and you don't put pressure on people, right? I mean, you're just there right. to be thoughtful and supportive in whatever they want to do. So if somebody is just in the exploring stage, they should reach out to their Perkins, whatever, whatever, right. you know, their organization is, you know, for them, whether it's their college or, you know, a disability organization that has served them well, or a larger organization working on policy things like the ARC of the US, some something that is in your mind, you when you approach somebody in this space in the plan giving space, 
they are not hard sell. You know, they're going to just work with you and talk to you. And they're just so happy that you're even thinking about the organization in that positive way. Jennifer, can you comment a little right. bit on that? Right. I couldn't agree more with you, Annette, and, and also with what Brooke has to say. I, I think for us, we're really helping guide them. I get quite a few calls from donors, and they'll actually say that. I, I'd like to do something, but I'm, I'm not sure where to start. Uh, how do I do it? So we have a lot of information on our website, um, but I'm also happy I sit down and talk with them. And as Brooke said, it, it's trying to find out what their goals are. And oftentimes people have multiple goals, right? Uh, they do want to leave a gift to a charity, but they also maybe want to take care of a mother or a spouse mm -hmm. or a child. And there are ways where you can do all of that. I like to say that a lot of folks think I'll take, you know, you mentioned this word before and at daunting, people think it's, they're daunted by it. It's, it's not as complicated as it would seem. And as Brooke said, there's a multiple ways that you can actually leave a gift. I think the bequest is probably the single um, most popular one. You put something in your will and it can either be a specific dollar amount $500, $5,000, $50,000, or it could be a percentage of your estate, or you can take care of others first, and then whatever remains, leave a portion of that to the charity or charities of your, of your choice. Mm -hmm. um, but I really do a lot of listening before I react, and I always encourage everyone to speak to a professional, mm -hmm. their financial advisor, their CPA, their attorney. Um, there's a lot of different giving vehicles and there's different tax uh, options. Uh, so it's really about what works for them and how they can help uh, the charity that they choose to support. And Jennifer or Brooke, either one of you or both of you can answer this. Do you give out uh, referrals if people don't have somebody in their network? that they feel like they can go to and talk to about this? Are you able to give a couple of names for people to explore? I do. I have uh, two um, attorneys that are not connected to Perkins. Um, and if people ask me, I'll, I'll give them two names that I have. And it's obviously completely up to them as to whether they want to reach out to those attorneys or not. But I do have one or two. I don't know if, Brooke, what your philosophy is on that. Yeah, yeah no, if people ask, I'm happy to share. I've had some alums of Colby College want to work with another alum in the state of Maine. So, you know, we can search our database. Um, and it for me, it, it, I... I give a recommendation. I wouldn't even say referral because I review, I view a referral as someone I've worked with. So these are people that I, I don't know. And like, as you said, Jennifer, they, um, it's up to that individual. And if they connect and, and it's a good fit, then great. Um, but always happy to help. So as the charity, do you then review documents before they are signed? Do you step into that role of, you know, supporting people with the appropriate language that they might need or something like that? Sure. I We supply different types of language that mm -hmm. we give to our donors and supporters, and we encourage them to share that with their attorney, um, depending upon where they're at and um, 
and what type of gift they want to uh, want to give to us. But we do supply, we have a brochure that we have that we share with folks. And it has some recommendations and some basic information that they can take to their tax and estate professional and review it with them to include in their, uh, whether they're creating a trust or a bequest in a will. That is super helpful. Uh, yeah. I know as a practitioner that that is very helpful to us when we can get that language. What about you, Brooke? Yeah, no, same thing here is very important. We want to make this as easy as a, a easy and simple a process as we can. Um, right. and so other than providing, you know, the, the tax information or any legal advice, which we have, as we talked about, we want them to work with their, their professionals for that. We provide sample language depending on the structure of the gift. I even have, um, if someone wants to make a gift from the retirement account, um, I even have a sample letter that is just saying, this is all of Colby's information and they have to fill in their name, their account number and sign it and send it off to their administrator. So we want to make it as simple as, as simple as possible for them to have the impact they want to have because what they're doing is just such a wonderful, genuine thing. Um, and you don't want to make yeah. that complicated. Yeah. Um, so I do have a lot of people who come with an idea that maybe they want to set up like Brooke did, some sort of a nonprofit or a foundation. And, you know, now we're, we're ratcheting up in complexity, right? We're getting to that next level of complexity where having some kind of a bequest, as Jennifer said, that's the first level, the first thing that people think about and probably the easiest thing to do. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about, you know, what does that look like when people want to set up a nonprofit and a foundation are two very different things. Um, so do you want to speak to that Brooke a little bit about, you know, decisions that people can make to set up something that specifically benefits it, a group or an organization? Sure. So you don't have to establish a nonprofit or a foundation in order to make a planned gift to an organization that's near and dear to your heart. Um, it's not necessary at all. And it, and as somebody who's done it and <laughs> been a part of the process, setting up a nonprofit and keeping it where it needs to be year over year is a process and yes. consuming. And you don't want to make sure every T is crossed and I dotted and every document that you need submitted is submitted on time. So um, it is, it isn't, it isn't a complicated thing. It's literally, you know, at some point in your life, everyone will have a will. Mm -hmm. um, everyone will have, we hope. yeah, you hope <laughs> some people, it is surprising how I have spoken to some people that are well beyond the age where they <laughs> should have a will and don't, they think they're going to live forever. Um, but if you want to support your family members and you want to support the organizations that are important to you, you have to have a will or a state uh, an estate plan. Um, and it's honestly doing your family and your friends a favor because it, when you pass away, it makes their life easier, especially right. your trustee when things are very clear and your wishes are known. Yeah. Um, and that speaks to just involving your whole family in these conversations. Um, right. you know, I encourage some of the parents that we work with at Colby to have conversations with their students or their children, get them involved, you know, what, yeah. where do they want it to go within the college? Um, and why, and, you know, start early. So then you're educating them about philanthropy. Um, but honestly, yeah, it's just, you, you know, even if you have a bank account, um, which majority of people have something like that, you can name organizations, the beneficiary of the balance upon your passing. And it is 
very simple, almost easier than a bequest. Right. So it's something that anyone can do, and it, and it does not involve reviewing it every year and submitting forms like a nonprofit or a family foundation does. It, it's honestly just putting the organizations that are near and dear, whether it's a, a retirement account, a bank account, your will, a trust, uh, establishing charitable gift annuities in your lifetime with the mm-hmm. with the charity, which you know the, the organization, the charity does most of the legwork. On yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you about that next. Actually, yeah. mm-hmm. before I get to those charitable annuities and you know clats and all of that, um, uh, what about a donor advised fund? Because I I talk to a lot of people about this and this may be another sort of simple solution for being able to put some money aside for multiple charitable intentions. So who would like to volunteer to talk to me about that? (laughs) Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump in on that. Annette, we're seeing more and more of our supporters make gifts through donor advised funds Mm -hmm. and I don't have one myself, but I believe they're fairly simple to create. And it's uh, where folks can put their charitable giving dollars into their donor advised funds. They take the um, the tax um, implication at that point, and then they can determine at a later date which charity they want to uh, donate to, how much, how often. So we are seeing more and more people uh, create donor advised funds and we are getting more and more gifts. Um, they're a great vehicle. Uh, I would say sometimes uh, when we get gifts through them, we do know who the donor is. They'll tell us. And that way we really do want to know because we'd like to recognize and thank everyone for their gift. Mm-hmm. Occasionally we do get gifts through donor advised funds, but we don't know who the, the donor is. Okay. But of course, we'd much prefer to know who they are uh, and to thank them. So I am seeing more and more of those. And I, I imagine, Brooke, you probably are too um, at Colby. For sure. They're happening more and more. And I'll just, what everything you said is 100% true. I would just add on that um, it also is a great vehicle upon your passing to name those organizations as the beneficiary at the end as well. Um, So it's, you know, not only are you able to control more, you're able to get a wonderful tax deduction or, you know, a benefit in the year that you make the gift to the donor advice fund, and then have over many years, a positive impact that the organizations are important to you, but then at the end, having an even bigger impact with those organizations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the other really great benefit to that is that the donor can see the impact in their lifetime, right? Rather than wait until they pass away and then we get a great gift. We love it to be able to share with every donor the impact it's having, to be able to thank them in person, and they can actually see the benefits. Um, So that's another great reason to use that type of gift vehicle. It's great for planning. If you want to, you know, plan X dollars every year, the cost is low. You do this with your financial institution. So you can go to, you know, your Merrill Lynch, your Fidelity, whoever it is that you're working with, and they can help you get it set up. And because the costs are are fairly low to maintain it, you can start with a small, smaller amount of money than you would normally think of for a foundation. You know, foundations are so complicated and the IRS rules are very complicated. 
they're great for some people who really want to set up a, a structured organization for gifting, but a donor advised fund, I think is maybe, I don't, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but like more of a poor man's way of being able to gift to multiple places, but make decisions every year based on need, having those conversations with Colby College and, and Perkins about what their needs are that year and being able to shift your um, priorities on an annual basis as to where you want the funds to go. So right. I love it. I think that they can be a really great resource, even for small companies like mine, who is contemplating setting up a revenue share, you know, for charitable giving, rather than dealing with the hundreds of requests for funds that I get every year at multiple different times of the year. I mean, this is the time, you know, during the end of the year when everybody's pushing for their funding for the year. And so, I mean, I get hundreds of requests and we're a tiny organization. I can only sure. imagine what it looks like in other places. It's yeah. maybe yeah. nice to think about having all of your funds in one place and having somebody designated to consider those, those gifts. So, yeah. um, so let's get even more sophisticated and let's talk about some charitable remainder trusts and charitable lead trusts, which we don't draft here because, um, you know, they're not that we couldn't, but they're, they're a specialty for sure. So let's talk a little bit about what those trusts are. We don't need to get sophisticated with the IRS rules and all of that. But in general, who wants to volunteer to talk to me about Klatz and uh, Kratz, I guess they're <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll start. And I'm not, again, I'm not an expert and I encourage everyone to, to speak with their financial expert. Yes. Um, similar to an annuity, the, the charitable remainder trust, it's an irrevocable trust um, that can generate income, an income stream for the donor um, and other beneficiaries. And generally the remainder of the assets then go to their favorite charities. So that's a future planning tool um, where people do get some tax benefits at right. the beginning by making the donations, similar to the donor advised fund, but on a more of a larger scale, right, Brooke? It's more yeah, of a larger so scale. at least at Colby to establish any sort of trust starts at $100,000. Okay. So then what about the charitable lead trust? Because this is where, you know, the the charity's getting the money up front. So this is a little different, right? And probably a lot more exciting. <laughs> Brooke, can you yeah. speak to that? Sure. So it's, it's very similar in um, mechanics to the charitable remainder trust, but it's reversed. So as you, as you noted, Annette, it is, you know, you make, you establish the charitable lead trust um, over uh, a term of years, which is typically around 20 years. The, um, the payments actually go to the nonprofit that you've established the lead trust with. Um, and upon the trust terminating, the balance would then go back to the beneficiaries of your choice. Most of the time it's children or other family members. Mm -hmm. Um, but it enables the charity to have them set, um, you know, not well. It's, it is variable. And that's the thing. The payments do vary based on the market. 
Um, But they at least know there is going to be some income and payment coming their way every year from this trust. Definitely a charitable remainder trust is more popular. Um, I haven't seen many charitable trusts in my career, but it is something that people do do. It's just whether, you know, they want to support their, their loved ones now and the charity later or the charity now and their loved ones later. It's just about, again, as we talked about at the very beginning about what their goals are um, and their plan for their family and their, their finances. Yeah. So, so exciting to talk about goals at this time of year. I love setting goals and watching, you know, progress towards those goals. This is something that people can definitely work up to. So I want to circle back to just where we started, which is the main thing that people need to focus on is really just talking with their families and having those conversations internally about, you know, what are we trying to accomplish here? What's the big picture? And then once you get some clarity around that, but you still have questions, focus in on working with the charities of your choice to figure out how to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. But in addition, as Jennifer mentioned, it's so important to include what we call our circle of care here, which is, you know, your tax accountants, your advisors, your financial folks, your um, lawyer, of course, your, your estate planning attorneys, and to, you know, get some advice and compile all of that advice and then figure out what direction works for you. Um, that, I hope, is not too much of an oversimplification, but um, what are your thoughts? Is, um, is that the best place for people to start? I, th- I think so. I We also always like to know if someone is including Perkins in their estate plans. Okay. Uh, sometimes we don't. We do get gifts and we'll get a call out of the blue from an estate attorney saying that we've been named uh, in someone's estate plan, which is, of course, wonderful. But we'd really like to work with folks ahead of time just to help them to make it as easy as possible. And I think Brooke touched on this too. We want to make sure that we're honoring your intent. So if you want that gift to go to a specific program or fund, we need really clear language from you that that's where we can direct your gift. So I think that's really important. And I totally agree with Brooke about really involving their family ahead of time. That's just so important. So there's no surprises. And Mm. we, again, would love to know ahead of time because we'd like to thank them and um, steward them during their lifetime, have them to campus, share with them the programs and things like that. So, And I'd love to just add a note, as you said, it's really the, the one of the reasons it's important for an organization to know your intent is as everything Jennifer just said, but also it's, we want to celebrate it um, because when we receive this gift, that person's no longer here to celebrate it. And mm-hmm. so it's really important that we know exactly where they want it to go. And, and it's, it's really a partnership of, of their, their dreams, of their intent. Um, yeah. um, and, and I just want to step back for a moment because you talked about involving the family. And one of the things that I've heard that I love the idea, um, is when, you know, I know families when the kids are young, I'm talking even five years old saying, okay, this year we have $500. And they're two kids. So each kid, you have $250 to give to a charity choice. 
That's what, what's mm-hmm. important, you know, and starting early and then maybe that amount gets bigger as the family grows or the time goes on or the financial situation changes, but just, you know, involving the kids early and then educating them on philanthropy. And that only has a more positive impact as they get older for the organizations that are important to them. But then, yes. you know, when you're starting the planning of an estate plan gift, make sure your kids or your loved ones know, you know, the last thing any organization wants is once someone passes away for a family member to contest a gift that this donor had this wonderful intent is what they wanted, you know? Um, and so it's just important to be very open as a family about where the priorities are and, and, you know, where you, where within the organization, it's one of my favorite conversations to have is designation because they get all excited. They, they can, mm-hmm. they get excited talking about XYZ program or department or financial aid or, or this building, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's mm-hmm. what excites them and it's why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and so those are important conversations to have. And they can only be had while the person's still living. Um, and yes. the other key is any of this, anything that's shared with the organization can be kept confidential and anonymous. Okay. You Good do point. not need to, um, anything you share with us, it's strictly just being shared with the organization. And if you want it to go broader, we have plenty of people that want to inspire others. We love that. But we also fully respect being anonymous and confidential if that's what's important as well. That is so important. So I did have an experience where I was a trustee for someone who had a planned gift and uh, was contested by mm-hmm. by children who were unfortunately um, not in in her life anymore uh, for many many years, decades actually, and. There was evidence going back 30 years of this person's charitable intent. It was to St. Jude's, a wonderful organization. But the trust spent um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in litigation. Um, Fortunately, the charity joined in with us and was very supportive because they knew that, you know, there was this plan. And um, but it's so sad when that happens. And, you know, conversation was not possible in this instance because there was too much under the bridge with this family but I just couldn't agree more with what you're both of you are saying about having those charitable intentions known also wanted to share um, because Jennifer what you were saying about you know directing where you want the gifts to go so I experienced this with Perkins I had wanted to do some gifting to the greenhouse and to the horticultural program, which is now closed. So I have to think about a different way to give to Perkins. And so it's important to not just have that conversation once, but to have ongoing communication and relationships with your charitable um, intentions organization, right? Right. I think... Like Perkins has been around for close to 200 years. So over the course of time, programs have evolved and changed, just like Mm -hmm. you say, Annette. So when we have a gift that is directed to a certain program, um, we ask that the language also include that the gift will go to that program. However, if that program no longer is in existence, what happens is the board and the trustees and the president 
are able to direct that gift to the closest type of program yeah. in order to honor the original intent, intent of the donor. And because we're an organization that's been around for so long, occasionally we we do run into those things, but they're they're always done in a very thoughtful manner. I will say that. So, um, yeah. yeah, that that can happen. I love what Brooke was saying about um, educating your children or other family members on philanthropy and starting small. I just want to reiterate, this is not a conversation we are having for, you know, the wealthiest of people. This conversation is for everybody because truly to a, to a fault, every person that comes into my office to do some planning has some charitable idea. They don't always, you know, it's not always that that right time in their life to um, put it into their plan, but People are just amazingly wonderful in the way that they think about their connection to their communities. And so um, I didn't realize I was doing this, but as Brooke was telling her story, I remember having my daughter Caroline and Elizabeth too, when they would have birthdays, we wouldn't do gifts. We would do, you know, bring a donation to the local um, pet shelter, the local animal shelter. Um, you can bring money or just bring a, a can of dog food, you know, or like a toy. And right. we, we, we love that. And every year, my daughter, Caroline would be thrilled to be able to bring this box of stuff and a few checks over to the local animal shelter. Started small, but now she's 22. And she volunteers at a local animal shelter because she was raised with this idea that we are part of a community. And we all give of ourselves and we all receive something too. So Brooke, thank you for that idea. I love that. Um, just being able to start by giving them a little, uh, a little budget and having them make some choices. I love it. Yeah. And it's important at a holiday, even like a birthday or, or you know, the holiday season, which we're in right now, I've done it with my niece and nephews where I've said, okay, instead of buying you a gift this year, we're going to adopt a family. And you were, I went to the store with them, which when they were six, eight, 10, 12 years old, very hard to go to a store and not buy a toy for themselves. But it's yes. an important lesson for them to learn and to talk about. Not every family is as fortunate to have all the socks, all the toys, all the warm jackets, all the boots that you have. And so it's right. important, you know, to give back to others. Um, and it doesn't always sink in when they're young, but it, the repetition <laughs> helps. Awesome. Awesome. Well, of course, I'm going over my time. Uh, I always do that. This is a great conversation to have. Do you have any other final thoughts um, to really help people along in this, you know, charitable idea or charitable notion that they might be having? I, I think I just want to reiterate, almost everyone is, we're all going to die eventually. And most of us will have some assets when we die. And I just want to stress this, as you said before, this is not for the wealthy. We've had gifts of $500, a bequest of 500. And it's when I look back in our system and see that this was a person who gave a gift every year of five or $10 for 20 or 25 years, they're incredibly meaningful. And every gift has impact. Um, 
500 all the way up to we sometimes get gifts in the million dollar range, but they all have impact. And uh, most of our bequests go into the endowment. And that is something that goes on and on and on and affects every program, every child, every day. So um, I would just leave folks with that. Okay. Brooke? Yeah, and I would uh, echo all that Jennifer just said. And there are so many different gift vehicles out there. So whatever you are thinking about, we can find a way to make it work. We didn't really touch upon charitable gift annuities, but a lot of people, those have become very, very popular nowadays. And people are using it for retirement planning, you know, starting and establishing one every year. And then that is income you can count on in the future. Um, so there's just, there's a lot of creative ways um, and the impact you're having, whatever organization it is, they're going to be appreciative. Um, you're helping, what I view a plan gift is helping secure the future of that organization because you're investing in its future in mm-hmm. whatever program it is. Um, and you're going to be part of the reason that 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however long you're going to live, that organization is still going to be around positively impacting others like it did you. Um, and so just have those conversations. They're very low pressure. We're not scary people. So just give yeah. us a call. And we're happy they're to so talk sweet. about it. <laughs> I, I really, you know, I, I promise you there's just no um, scariness, like Brooke said, going on here. You can have those very low key conversations and you can have those conversations over and over and over again until you're ready and you know what you want to do. Yep. You know, they, they will definitely keep talking with you. Um, and it, like so many people that I'm planning with, it's not the right time, but maybe next year is going to be the right time or the following year. And I forgot about the annuities. Sorry, I didn't ask you about that. But you should check in with your advisors about annuities as well um, and where the charity would get the remainder. You would get the income and the charity gets the remainder. Another great way and actually a lot less complex way to do some planning. So I love that too. So thank you so much, ladies, for being here and helping us do some really good end of year planning. I'm super excited that you're able to come and we will have all of your contact information in our show notes so that people can reach out to you if they have more questions or just want to talk to you about your organization. That would be terrific. Thank you. I've enjoyed it so much. I really appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.